Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Mary Plastic. I am a founder of Upgrade Disability and your host. I would like to thank you for joining me today at the intersection of disability and politics. The road ahead can be a bumpy one, so buckle up and let's navigate this journey together. Hello, and thank you for joining me today. Would you please introduce yourself to the audience? Hi, everybody. My name is Elle Suzai, and I am a deaf, disabled, autistic person. And today I'm here on Mary's podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Mary. And I want to clarify that this is me speaking for myself as a deaf person, because I want to make sure that I am heard exactly the way I want to say things and that I do have a lot of speaking privilege that a lot of deaf people do not and so I'm utilizing that privilege now to have direct communication. Thank you for having me Mary. Thank you for being here. You know how much I love you and I admire you and I'm just so happy that you're here with me today. I would do anything for you. I'm so honored that you're here. I always say that we all have defining moments in our disability journey. Would you talk about a defining moment in your journey? Absolutely. So as I said, I'm deaf and disabled and autistic. Um, I have a chronic illness that I live with as well as mental health disabilities. Um, I'm also queer and non-binary and I'm Jewish. And so a lot of these things um, intersect in a way that I've never really had an opportunity to meet other people who are like me, to um, learn a language, sign language, that was an accessible language to me. And so um, I think one of the most important defining moments of my disability journey was going to um, Rochester Institute of Technology for my grad program. Um, and this was almost 10 years ago where I met other queer, other deaf and autistic and deaf and queer people um, in Rochester at RIT, which has a really big deaf population. Um, if you don't know anything about it, RIT has NTID, which is the National Technical Institute for the Deaf. And I went there for my graduate program in deaf education and it changed my life getting to finally be in a place where there was lots of other deaf people and deaf people who were not just old white people, old white deaf people, but like young deaf people, deaf people who were also autistic, deaf people who were also queer, like I was saying before. And I just completely immersed myself. I took my cochlear implants off completely for two years. Um, and I had a deaf roommate who is one of my greatest loves of my life still today. And I have deaf friends who are still some of my very closest friends from that experience who really for the first time ever in my life actually made me feel seen for all of the parts that I am. I love that story. And I think it's important that we talk about being in a space where we can be ourselves and our complete selves. So I love that you had that experience. 
talk about why you say death and disabled, because I know that a lot of death individuals don't identify as disabled. Can you talk about that within the community? Sure, yeah. So um, the deaf community does have some pushback to the word disabled, which we are starting to de deconstruct as other marginalized deaf disabled people are starting to come out in the community and say, hey, the way that the deaf community treats disabled people who are part of our own community is not okay. Um, so we've had that whole like, deaf is not a disability thing going on. That's finally starting to be addressed. And I've always been very outspoken against that phrasing and as a deaf disabled person. And so through that, we've had this identity kind of arise called the deaf disabled identity, not just meaning deaf is a disability, but meaning that you are deaf and you have other types of disabilities. So like I said, I'm deaf and I have a chronic illness and I also am autistic. And so my experience trying to access, for example, the healthcare system as a person with the chronic illness and as a deaf person is a very different experience than a deaf person who doesn't have a chronic illness or a person who has a chronic illness but can hear. Um, and that intersection there has, has caused a lot of issues. You know, I've had to go in for a lot of medical procedures um, where, you know, pre-COVID people were wearing masks. And even with my cochlear implant, I can't hear in a group setting. I can really only hear one-on-one -on -one very well. And in a medical setting as well, I'm also autistic. So those three things play together. I get very overwhelmed. And so it's much, it's much more effective and accessible for me to just have one person to look at, an interpreter, in which all of the communication is coming through that person. But oftentimes trying to get an interpreter in a medical setting is this huge fight. Or, for example, I've gotten an interpreter who I've previously had who told me that um, I didn't look autistic. And then they were my interpreter for a, a massive surgery that I had to have. And what do you do in that situation? You have someone that makes you incredibly uncomfortable who is now your sole source of information and you're needing this procedure because you're in so much pain. Um, and so you can't just put it off, but you didn't have any power in the requesting of the interpreter. And so now you're in this situation and you just kind of have to like, deal with it because otherwise you're going to have no access but now you're getting your only information through someone that makes you really uncomfortable and doesn't make you feel safe so it's it's a very different experience to be deaf disabled and as i like to identify deaf disabled autistic because all three of those things really create a unique experience when you're trying to access systems that have a lot of barriers you that non-disabled people believe about if you're deaf, that wherever you go, there's just an interpreter there waiting for you. And you and I both know that's not the case. I would love that, if only. I've also had people ask me, like, if my friend, you know, I have like a friend that comes to something and in that moment they t they're hearing and they sign, so they take up the interpreting for that moment and then the people are like does that person follow you around all day no they don't i am an adult <laughs> but it would be wonderful if i could show up here and not have to bring a friend with me 
because I would have access. And it is so hard to get interpreters. I mean, I work in a public school system, which has a lot of money, has a lot of resources, and still I have to fight to get interpreters. I had to fight to get interpreters for new teacher orientation um, this past year in 2021 for new teacher orientation in which they said that we care about every student. We care about listening to marginalized voices. A black woman came and talked about anti-racism in the whole school district, which is yes, absolutely we should be doing those things and then you also told me that I couldn't get an interpreter without having a doctor's note to prove that I'm deaf but I don't have health insurance through you yet so how am I supposed to get a doctor's note hmm we both know that the medical system is ableist it's just ableist and in another interview I said isn't it funny how the medical system is not built to care for the disabled and chronically ill. Well, it's not called a care system, right? It's called a medical system. And we one, we medicalize things that don't need to be medicalized. And two, we have the medical industrial complex in which we want to try and fix the disabled people, make them able to assimilate into dominant society, make them less disabled because, oh my gosh, we can't have the poor disabled around us. No, no, no. We must fix them and make them like us instead of just breaking down the barriers in the first place. And the medical system is, you know, indicative of every other system. They're all, they're all the same. And I'm gonna ask you this question because I think you are the ideal person to ask this question to. And when I teach workshops, I get this question a lot. And I'm like, I can give an okay answer, but I know you can give a better answer than I can. Why is it we do not say hearing impaired anymore? Why is it now hard of hearing and death? Um, because impaired implies that there's something wrong. And there's nothing wrong with being deaf or hard of hearing in the same way that a lot of the low vision and blind community is also starting to move away from the term vision impaired because impaired is just this word that makes you feel like deficient. Like there's something wrong with me when there's nothing wrong with you for being disabled in any capacity. And I have a lot of feelings about language um, in the, the deaf community, for example, I'm a teacher of the deaf. Um, there's a big push to move away from the term hearing loss and instead use a term reduced hearing levels. And I actually am the opposite thought than the deaf community on this, because I think both terms are equally relevant. And I know that a lot of people are trying to move away from hearing loss because loss implies something negative. But my point is, why does it imply something negative? I have a disability. I have a chronic illness. That's not a negative thing about me. That's a neutral thing about me. Having chronic illness isn't exactly positive, but it's definitely neutral. And so loss, the word loss in and of itself, why are we so obsessed with saying that's a bad thing? It's not a bad thing. It's only a bad thing when there's barriers that people refuse to remove. So terms like impaired, absolutely. That's like, it feels like almost a personal attack. But to say loss, that just is just a fact.
nothing wrong with it. I had a hearing loss. I wasn't born deaf. I did lose it. And to try and say that my experience of losing my hearing was reduced hearing levels is very reductive. And so in that circumstance, you know, please don't call me hearing impaired, but I do have a hearing loss. I lost something. And that's a different experience than someone who's just born deaf. It's ironic because I personally have moved away from saying speech impediments to saying impaired speech because it does not impede me from speaking. So I think that goes to show that every disabled person's experience is different and that includes language as well. Absolutely. And I I always describe you like for the interpreter today, I said, hey, Mary's going to come on. Mary has a speech disability, FYI, so that you know that's going to be a part of your job as an interpreter today. I don't like to use the word impaired. Like you said, there's no it doesn't impair you from anything. You're not broken in any way. You're perfect and beautiful and wonderful in every way. And, but it's still a fact about you. It's a fact about how you talk and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think long disabled people need to understand that how the disabled person chooses to identify, they need to honor and respect that. And every disabled person is on an individual journey. Absolutely. And I think language is my big thing. You know that. And like how we use terminology. And I think it's super important for us to talk about as a community, communal words that we want to be to be used as a group, right? Like the disability community as a whole tends to be very adamant towards identity first language, saying I'm a disabled person versus I'm a person with a disability, because there's a lot of empowerment in having your identity first, especially as disabled people who most often have our autonomy and visibility taken away from us, that identity first part is so crucial. And simultaneously, there's going to be people who don't like the identity first language and prefer to say, I'm a person with a disability, I'm a person with this, whatever it is. Um, and that should be honored. And simultaneously, we should recognize that the people who are who are using terminology like that to separate their disability from themselves are using that because of ableism and because they have internalized ableism and they haven't had the communal support and beautiful experience to unpack it and say, you know what, I am disabled and that is rad and beautiful and a wonderful way to, to go about the world. But instead they've been harmed by it. And so they want to separate themselves from it. And that is super valid super valid for people to respect. If someone says, I prefer person first language, great, I will use that for you. And simultaneously, I will have one-on-one -on -one chats with you about why you want to use that. And I want to help you deconstruct it. And I want you to bloom into your most beautiful disabled self. You know what's funny? I, I gave a workshop um, at an art center that works with disabled artists. Um, intellectually and developmentally disabled artists. And we had a whole workshop about 
identifying language. And one of the artists said to me, I don't want to be called anything because of how people treat me. And that was a very, like that moment really shocked me to my core because I realized the ableism that that person has dealt with. And this is why we do choose how we identify. I use identity first because my whole life, people made me feel like it was a bad thing. So the ableism I faced helped me make the decision to say, no, I am a disabled person. By the same time, like you said, the ableism other people face make them want to say, person with a disability. We want to be seen as people. At the end of the day, that's what we want. Our whole identities to be seen. And I think when non-disabled people start to understand that, some of that ableism will start to break down, or at least we hope it will start to break down. And while we're on the subject of ableism, talk to me about how ableism has affected your journey. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, first, yes, exactly what you said. I will always hold endless grace for disabled people unpacking their own identities and their own internalized ableism. I will not hold that grace for abled and non-disabled people, but I will hold endless grace for disabled people in the, whatever way they want to identify. Um, like I said, meanwhile, also saying, come here, let me hold you while we unpack this, right? So Yes, ableism has had a huge impact on my life. Um, you know, uh, from when I was a kid, my autism was was misdiagnosed as oppositional defiance disorder. And I truly believed that I was a sociopath for a very long time. Um, and then, oh, turns out <laughs> I had an Asperger's diagnosis that my mom never told me about because, oh, she's also autistic. Um, <laughs> so ableism has been very much a big part of my life. Um, I also have a very disabled family. Like I mentioned, my mom is also very clearly autistic, although undiagnosed. Um, my mom also has a has the same chronic illness as me and has had it much worse her entire life and has been on disability herself um, since I was a sophomore in high school. And um, then my mom's father, my poppy, he was missing an, a leg and an eye. So he had one leg and one eye. So I grew up around limb difference and different kinds of sighted abilities and things like that. Both of my grandmothers also had Alzheimer's. Um, and so we had actually the three of them, my poppy, my nanny, and my grandma in a house down the street from me and then lived with my parents. And so I had a lot of interaction with different kinds of disabilities. And in my family, it was never a big deal. Just, you know, Elle struggles to hear and Jackie's bipolar and Elle's also ADHD. Jackie, my sister, is also ADHD. My mom has Crohn's and 
you know, my dad has other things and Poppy is, has limb difference and Nenny and grandma both have Alzheimer's. And that was just our family. And it was just normal that, you know, some people couldn't hear, some people couldn't walk, some people couldn't do these things. And we all showed up for each other. And I never really like realized that the outside world was so mean to us because of those things until I got old enough to start seeing it. Um, And then through that time as well, I lost all of my hearing and was profoundly deaf by the time I was 18. So I was navigating, you know, you get into high school and you start realizing you're different. You get bullied because you're autistic and you act differently. You say things differently. Um, I struggled a lot with pronunciation when I was younger. Uh, (laughs) Turns out, yeah, you know, hearing loss, all of that. And I, it wasn't until I found the disability community. I went online on Tumblr back in the day, you know, I was like 19 and I was so angry trying to navigate the world as a profoundly deaf person who uh, had the strongest hearing aids on the market that didn't work at all, didn't know sign language yet. So I had, I had no way to communicate with anyone around me aside from text-based things. And so the internet became my outlet and my way to communicate with people. And I found the disability community through Tumblr and all of the reframing and the ideas that there's nothing wrong with you. The the things that are wrong are the barriers, not you, the person. That was so empowering and that changed my entire life. And you have become such a strong advocate because of that. And I want to acknowledge that. It's really made you such a strong person and such a strong advocate. And I'm not saying that in an inspiration sort of way. I'm just saying that that's a fact. That's who you are. And I think that's amazing. I'm very proud of myself and how far I've come. And, you know, the idea that like you go through something terrible that makes you stronger. And a lot of people will argue like you don't have to go through things to make you stronger. You can just be stronger, which is true. And I personally like to make meaning out of the things that have happened in my life. And so for me, I do truly believe that everything happens for a reason. And all of those things that happened have made me that person I am today. And I wouldn't be the person I am if I hadn't had those experiences. And those experiences have led me to love disabled people so unconditionally and immensely that all I want to do is protect disabled people and tell disabled people how beautiful and perfect they are. And I wouldn't be this person if it wasn't for all of those experiences. It's it's just, it's amazing. We're all okay for this episode. I know, I know. Just when things were getting good too. That just means you'll have to come back for part two. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Politics of Disability podcast. I can never get to remember, disability is political, disability is messy, disability is not powerful, nor does it have to be.